Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Sarah Schneider, PhD, is joining me on the show today. Sarah is trained as a performance anthropologist with degrees from Yale and NYU and is the CEO and founder of The Human Journey. She consults to hospice, healthcare, and mission-driven organizations on learning and growth and trains professionals to help families and support groups develop belonging, the capacity for meaning-making, and communication skills when they're in the heart of change. The proprietary The Human Journey experience that she created designed, teaches, and licenses to organizations and individual practitioners has been called a brilliantly crafted family tool and celebrated for its permission giving to participants, allowing them to identify the level of openness, vulnerability, and sharing that feel right to them. An experience that when used in the hospice setting, patients may need more than the morphine. Welcome, Sarah, to the show. A few things to talk about before we get started with today's episode. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have some exciting things coming out in the next weeks, months, unclear how long it's going to take me to get it together, but there will be some stuff coming out and I don't want you to miss it. So head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And I also wanted to tell everybody about an amazing opportunity with IANS. IANS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and their 2020 conference is online. This year's theme is Unlocking the Healing Wisdom of NDEs, and the program is packed to the brim with fantastic speakers and experts to guide newcomers and seasoned experiencers alike through the mysterious worlds of near-death experiences, spirits, and the afterlife. This conference, again, is online via Zoom, August 14th to 16th, and you can visit IANS.org for more info. That is I-A-N-D-S.org. And many of the speakers who have been on this show in the past are also members of IANS. It's an amazing organization that really promotes the work, so much of the work that I'm doing on this show in terms of bringing to light many people's spiritual experiences and spiritually transformative experiences. So head on over and check that out. And now to today's show. Thank you, Amy. I'm so glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about what the, what is the human journey? and how it's designed to help folks at the end of their life. Sure. The human journey is a total system. It consists of a designed two-hour experience, usually about two hours, that has a specific facilitation method, and it has the materials that support that method. So if you look at the human journey from, say, 20 feet away, it looks like it's an interesting and really artistic board game 
that happens to have an extra person who's the conductor of the human journey, the person who's facilitating. But as you get closer to it, it actually is a lot more like being in the midst of a play rehearsal. You see people figuring out who they are and who they are to each other, and then going through a process that's actually structured into three acts, like a three-act play. And it takes people into meaningful engagement with each other and leads them through to a resolution in the way that a theatrical experience does. So is it to help them resolve issues that they may have had with one another in their lives as one member is is sort of transitioning to death? Or is it just to deepen the relationship? Kind of what's the purpose? It, the purpose is largely to help individuals make meaning at, a, at an incredible opportunity for doing that. I think for a lot of us as end of life approaches for ourselves or for people that we love, um, the pain is so strong that it's hard to do the meaning making that's available. So the human journey is really designed to help people take the opportunity of an approaching death to do meaning making individually and to develop, a, um, I want to say, a rootier, a deeper sense of belonging with those around them. Yeah, almost as an antidote to the fragmentation into different griefs that is sometimes likely to happen in the face of a loss. Do you have to wait until someone's dying to do? I mean, this sounds like it would be great work just to do in general. That, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's interesting because a lot of people who have taken part have said, why are you focusing on the end of life? It actually would be good for any family to do or any group to do. And that's absolutely right. The human journey does not uh, mention death. It does not mention sickness. It takes on its particular character by the situation in which it's played. Uh, the context is really important. Um, I happen to have a really strong interest in end of life and so have been um, somewhat focused on making a difference there, but it actually is also relevant in any situation in which particularly an individual's um, shift of identity or shift of status may mean something for the family in terms of adjustment or reconsidering their own identity in ways of belonging. So yes, it's good, it's good for really any group. So it could be used if someone was experiencing like a job loss or a terminal illness or any illness really, right? That shifts the right. dynamics. Yeah, and I've also considered it in situations where people are returning from a rehabilitation of any kind, from addictions treatment, even from incarceration, where they're returning to a family that may perceive them one way while they perceive themselves in another. So can you explain a little bit? I know when we did our pre-call around this, we talked about how it's structured around the notion of the hero's journey. What mm -hmm. is the hero's journey and how does that look in, in terms of this, this process for someone or for the family? The, the hero's journey is, was made famous by Joseph Campbell in the kind of the mid 20th century, but it actually is an older construct from nearly, I would say, um, 80 years before, something like that, 80 or 90 years before, Joseph, um, Joseph Campbell made it, made it famous. So an anthropologist named um, Edward Burnett Tyler named uh, and identified this almost universal structure to folk tales around the world where you'd have kind of an innocent hero who would receive uh, an opportunity to leave the home and engage in adventures uh, slay, you know, dragons metaphorically or literally, 
and then having grown in wisdom and in gifts, returns to the family in order to share the gifts um, that he has received as a changed being. And you, you see that structure in many, many stories, and many, particularly many movie, much screenwriting in many movie stories as well, and a lot of playwriting as well. It's also used a lot in video games in a somewhat transformed form. And so the hero's journey was a format that I wanted to use here um, because I found it a very persuasive answer to a question that I was asking myself early on, which is, uh, what is a way to tell stories that actually heal and that act as a healing structure, not just for the person sharing, but for the community listening? So the, the genesis of my own project really was thinking about um, how do people deal with hard times and how do they share in a way that not only repeats the story for their own sake, but actually brings it forward and acts in a transformational way for everyone. So what does this look like specifically in this process? The human journey is, um, as I mentioned earlier, it takes place along the structure of a three-act play. And within that three-act play, there are the stages very um, subtly placed in of the hero's journey that are layered underneath that three-act structure. And so you start developmentally, you start in a rough life cycle structure with remembering the innocence, the gratitudes, the gifts of youth, and then moving through. And even when those gifts are hard to bear, they're not always mm. um, things for which we're originally grateful. Mm -hmm. And then moving toward, by the end of Act One, essentially the call to the call to adventure and the need to differentiate, to become autonomous, and to um, strike out for the values for which one is ready to stand and to make the hard decisions as an adult that one is ready to make. So it actually follows that structure. So that's phase two is kind of coming into adulthood, I guess, or? Coming into adulthood and the decision-making that ends up shaping our own characters. And each person engages in this process? Is that how it works? So like if, if yeah. my loved one is dying, I'm engaging at it so they can deepen their understanding of me and they're engaging at it so I can under, deepen my connection or understanding of their experience? Is that? Yeah, that's right, Amy. That's right. And, and um, so in a way, it's almost like a form of parallel play in a sense. And at the same time, as I engage in it, in a sense, I'm talking to myself. I'm deepening my understanding of myself as I go forward and doing it in a way that others can understand. So from the point of view of end of life, if the person who is dying is able to see that the family is starting to make meaning out of this experience, that, that not only are they experiencing the loss, but they're able to make meaning and then they're also able to engage with each other in a meaningful way. That's another wrinkle that I'd love to share with you about, um, about how the human journey works with the hero's journey. As the person dying is able to see that, they, they, in a sense, have permission to die. They don't necessarily feel that they have to stick around in order for the family to have a life forward. Because the family is starting to live that out in their presence. What a beautiful gift to everybody in that process, because I think a lot of people when they're talking about the dying process or talking about their loved ones not being ready to let go, it sounds mm -hmm. like you help make that happen in a real meaningful way, not just someone coming by the bedside and saying, oh, it's okay, you can go now, 
but really um, deepening that. And one of the things that I've learned in interviewing people for this podcast is that if the body and the soul aren't both ready to let go, you won't mm-hmm. die, which is interesting. But exactly. I mean, this, this is brilliant. I think it is meaningful because they are enacting that um, that permission, as you say, rather than merely saying it, the person can feel at a very deep level, at the soul level or at whatever level it may be, that um, that it's okay, that they're going to be okay, and they can envision that a future is there beyond the what may seem like beforehand the closed door of the the approaching death. So, what is the third? The third part. So the first part is sort of reflecting and looking back and thinking about your maybe early life and what brought you joy or not joy, pain, joy, pain. Then the second part is sort of the decision making, moving into adulthood. And then what is the third part of the journey? And in the third part, which I like to call the third act, it is um, a process of even greater engagement. Each of the acts has a kind of choreography of how interaction happens among the members. So they kind of work on their own in the very much in the beginning, and then they slowly start building the web of connectedness over the course of the three acts. And so that's a, a bit of the way in which my version of the hero's journey makes of the, makes of the group the hero at the same time as each individual is his or her own hero. Um, and so that's an additional wrinkle upon the hero's journey that that I have brought to this system. Um, And when they get to the third act, what they're doing is co-envisioning a positive future for themselves as a family or group organism going forward. So it's a creative act. So this is really, I mean, it's so profound to me because so many people deny death, right? Even even as, as loved ones are approaching death, they're still like, mm, might not happen, right? <laughs> they're, exactly. So. And, and so how do you find that people are, in, how do you find that people are engaging in this if there's resistance to the belief that this loved one is going to die? Like, do you have to be at a certain place in your stages of grief, for lack of a better term at this point, you know, where you've accepted the, de- the impending death or mm-hmm. does that not matter? Well, it, the thing is, when a practitioner would invite a family to take part in the human journey, they would say, you know, they won't go through the whole shebang as to what this will be about, what it will do. It, that would almost be too much for a family to take in um, as they have a family member who's so ill. But what they can say is, I have an experience I can offer you if you'd like to do it. You know, it typically takes about two hours, but if you want to do it in less, we can do that. And it's going to help your family feel closer and help you communicate better. And that's really what they say. And it's about all a family can handle. And if they come back and they say, well, you know, my sister is never going to do this. Is that okay? That's perfectly okay. Whoever wants to take part is the right person or the right people. So you're not a therapist. That's not your training. But you're an inventor of, and, and the human journey is sort of a social approach to healing. You've said that you identify yourself as an artist whose medium is groups. So can you explain what you mean by that? Because I think people often think that individual work is really where, like, you do your individual therapy, and mm-hmm. that's great. And I'm an individual therapist. You know, I'm a, I see individuals, but group work is so powerful. 
So can you it, it is. can you speak yes. to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, in a sense, um, the human journey does some things that are common with one of with things that therapy would like to be doing too, which is helping people soften, attune to each other, connect, um, gain insight, deal with the in a sense, you know, what they're dealt in life. So all of that, you know, is also within the realm of what the human journey aspires to do. But it was always intended. I always intended it to be conducted by, in a sense, by citizens, not by um, professionals, per se. People who had, at minimum, just two basic skills, that they were warm, that people felt good around them, and that they could keep a firm hand so that uh, the uh, many measures that are in place to keep the experience safe for people would, would be absolutely observed, that the ground rules were sacrosanct. And so if they could be both warm and firm, in a sense, I mean, it makes them sound like a cold marshmallow or something. But no, I, could, I think actually warm and firm is like the best way to be in life. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's what they need. And some therapists are not that way. And some people who are not therapists are that way. Um, and so it, it, it isn't completely coincident with being a therapist. The, the, I think of it much more as a ritual like a rite of passage for the group, where they're shifting their identity from a sense of aloneness and fragmentation to um, one of understanding that the, that the boundaries of the cells are not as firm as, one might, as they might appear to be from the skin in which we're bound. Well, and that's, um, there's so much too, as I know, as people transition around oneness, right? That, and that if we can, I mean, if we could see ourselves in each other and see ourselves as one, this world would look so much different. And so I think it's, it's just amazing to be able to give that to people at the end of their life in that way. Mm -hmm. And how does mm -hmm. sort of playwriting and directing and anthropology and facilitating all play into this? Yeah, it, it, it's funny because for me, they, they all feel of a, we were talking about oneness, but they all feel of a piece to me. Um, I started early in my career doing this doctorate in, in a field called performance studies, which links cultural anthropology and fieldwork in particular with arts disciplines. And I had been a theater person. Um, I had started as a singer and dancer and then quickly discovered that, I, that my perspective was much more systemic, that I really liked thinking about how the whole worked together. And directors get to do that. They get to look at the bodies on stage and think about how they relate to each other and how you create meaning by how you arrange them and how you highlight one thing and then another. And so the directing felt very much like, um, in a way, a kind of, experience design, which is a term that's that's heavily in use now, but it wasn't, you know, some years ago. What does that mean, experience design? Experience design is giving thought to how a receiver actually goes through an experience, whether it be, uh, you know, the, the experience of a game or the experience of being in a store. Experience design is used a lot in commercial settings or of uh, buying a cup of coffee, an expensive cup of coffee things like that. So you could have experienced designers thinking about what does the, the uh, coffee buyer know about the company before they go? What are the experiences they go through the drive-through? You know, what's the experience of handling the cup? 
and go through and create each of those pieces. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that was part of it. And then um, I taught both drama and performance studies and then did also kind of, bet- I lived between academic life and consulting life where I was also designing meetings and helping people think about how to solve problems in groups. And so the human journey actually brought all of those different elements together. The common element all along was the artistry around groups. And is this, and it's cross-cultural, like there's, it doesn't matter, that's sort of incorporated into this, that kind of whatever background you came from, whatever, whomever you are, that's all part of this. Yeah, it's been tested across a variety of different groups. That's not to say that it's a universal application, but my attempt has been, particularly with regard to spiritual diversity, to have it be as welcoming as possible. And one of the features of the human journey is that it's a vehicle for people who have different spiritual inclinations to be able to share in a safe way how they see the world and what are sources of um, meaning for them and spiritual comfort for them with each other. I see it as a way in which those individuals can actually find their way across difference. And what do you see as sort of some of the spiritual underpinnings of the human journey? In about 2000, I got very interested in yoga philosophy and um, fell into, it feels like I fell into a yoga practice that was very serious. I was reading a lot of yoga philosophy and a lot of that made great sense to me. I, I appreciated the just the the wide open arms that yoga philosophy held for a variety of different spiritual beliefs, the sense of non-judgment, and the sense that there are many, many paths to the to the divine. So, so clearly that's a really important part of it. And included with that non-judgment is the sense that there are events that are more and less pleasant in our lives, but that doesn't make them good and bad events. Mm. It simply makes them... Um, easier or harder to bear. So there are activities in the, in the human journey that emphasize that kind of equalization of life events in the same sense that the death and dying um, are not a tragedy. They're actually part of the overall design of being alive. Um, the things that are darker in our experience are, are not tragedies either. They're, they're part of the design. How would one, if one wanted to become a facilitator, it's a facil- you have to be trained in facilitating this process, is that? There are two ways to go about it. One is institutions can um, decide that they want to offer the human journey as part of what they do with the community. It could be a mission-driven organization that works with their communities, or it could be a hospice that wants to serve its families and communities in this way. So they would reach out uh, to us at The Human Journey. It's the, the hyphen human hyphen journey.com to talk about how to do a training of m- many of their staff. Can people just buy it for their own curiosity or not? Re- it's really, it's really. In they, this. Yeah. I mean, they can buy the kit and the guidebook, which come packaged together and they can train themselves. Uh, but people seem to do really well with coming into individual trainings, which they would do also by coming to the same website and signing up for public trainings as an individual. So it wouldn't really be like a Friday night family game. You know, it can be, but in a sense, I mean, it's a lot to spend for a family game. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Are are there any available like questions or prompts? And this is 
aren't you glad you're not in my family, right? Like I'm always looking for like, <laughs> what can we talk about around the dinner table? That's interesting, That's right? That's right? right. Like, are there any, yeah. um, I don't know, side cards or kind of interesting maybe prompts that you could leave us with just that people could think about or maybe bring back that are there to foster oh, the discussion? Or is no, it really like about. deeper than that? Well, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, there are many tools that are based on having cards and prompts. I mean, you have cards in almost every board game. And even with the end of life experience, there are many other decks that help people think about end of life in a very specific way, you know, around what do you want? What do you want your funeral to look like? What do you wish for in terms of your, you know, how much extreme life-saving measures do you want? This is a little different in the sense that its power comes from the the progression and the designed interactions. Mm. It's not from an individual card. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so it's really the overall experience that creates creates the oomph. So no one's coming for a family dinner to discuss the human journey with me, I guess. Or they or uh, they could, they but they would have to commit to a couple of hours. Yeah, they have to commit to the whole thing. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and when they do, I mean, what people typically find is they laugh. I mean, it is, this sounds like sort of a schmaltzy movie, but they they laugh, they cry, um, and they and they feel that they've kind of settled into a deeper sense of themselves and of the people they belong to. Well, it sounds really like such a beautiful gift to be able to give people at the end of their life and such an amazing creation. I feel like I understand it. We talked before and I was trying to wrap my head around it, but I feel like I I get it this time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so hopefully my listeners really understand it. And it sounds like if, if anybody is in kind of any space where they're dealing with end of life or any other kind of developmental shifts or changes, this is a really good game is do it's not really a game but it's it's interesting because you know as i say it it looks like a game it comes in a box um but it's it's really an experience that has the trappings of a game Mm -hmm. Uh, but it has the kind of depth of what happens you know kind of around a campfire at three in the morning yeah Um, maybe a a couple of uh, cocktails or other stuff in exactly (laughs) and so you know especially during this time my i'm hopeful that people who are not professionals will want to use it as a way to help the, you know, the many among us who are dealing with loss of many kinds in isolation mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a kind of a citizen effort. Well, so if people are, are interested or want to find you, it's the, the dash human-journey.com. It will be on my, in my show notes. Is there any other way they could find you or is that mainly the best the best way? Um, they can always write me at sarah at the hyphen human hyphen journey.com. Okay, perfect. Well, that will be, all of this will be in my show notes. And thank you so much, Sarah, for this enlightening, thank you. enlightening game experience that you've brought into this world. It's pretty remarkable. Thank so thank you. Thanks so much, Amy. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.